only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and hear from your word. We thank you that when we do that, you are faithful to strengthen us and speak to us. And so we ask that you would take the words I prepared and you would speak through me and that each one of us would hear something from you tonight. Amen. Great. Well, it's a pretty thrilling story, isn't it? We've just heard read from, from Genesis. It's pretty, pretty hair-raising story about Abraham. 
And um, maybe because of it, Abraham is one of the great heroes of the Christian faith and indeed the Jewish faith. Um, he, I can't think of anyone really apart from maybe David, the great king of Israel, who, um, who's mentioned more times than Abraham as kind of like, we want to be like him. Uh, he is, he's, he's called the father of faith. Um, in the New Testament, uh, Paul does, doesn't seem to get enough of him going on and on about how you know, he, we, we should look to his example of faith. And uh, God himself vouches for Abraham as someone who he's pleased with. And so as we come here this evening um, and we, we want to ask, how can, I, how can I grow in my faith? What are the ingredients um, in, a, in a life of faith, in a walk of faith? Um, Abraham is a pretty good place, pretty good place to start. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series called, um, what it's called, A Call To. Um, and we've been looking at some other ingredients um, in, in, a, in a strong walk with God. We've been looking at how a call to follow Jesus is also a call to pray. It's a call to worship and adore God. And it's a call to witness and share our faith. But tonight we get to a topic which is um, maybe not quite as exciting. Maybe not, so we don't so often see seminar series on it or things like that. But we come to the topic of obedience. And um, obedience is one of those ingredients that has to be in there uh, for a life of faith. You know, if you, bake, if you bake the cake without obedience, you don't get a follower of Jesus. Um, and so that's our topic tonight. And I'm going to stay really, really simple. And so my first point is this. Following Jesus is going to require obedience. Following Jesus is going to require obedience. It may seem uh, really blindingly obvious, but I think it is actually worth noting and also just telling ourselves regularly. Actually, you know, the thing I've signed up for, following Jesus, is going to require obedience. And it's worth telling ourselves that because I don't know whether you've noticed this, but obedience is not the in thing these days. Yeah, um, None of the cool kids are doing it. Um, you know, when you hang out in the playground, which you shouldn't do unless you're certified, um, that's not what they talk about. That's not what they talk about. And um, if you go down to the pub and you, 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 again, sit alone listening to someone else's conversation, these are two weird scenarios, but if you listen, over, over here, people are chatting about their work colleagues and you, you might be so lucky as to hear some um, positive gossip about about one of their colleagues. You know, he's, you're gonna, you might hear a colleague being praised for their skill. You know, wow, they're just really good at what they do. You might hear a colleague praised for their shrewdness or their intelligence, or maybe even if you're lucky, their honesty or kindness or all kinds of things. But I very much doubt that you'll hear someone say, "Wow." Just got such a virtue of obedience, my colleague. Just, just so good at doing what they're told. It's just really not the in thing, is it? In fact, if anything, um, in our day and age, 
being obedient is seen as something that's kind of naive and weak and open to exploitation and maybe for good reason. But it is not the in thing with our friends and those around us. And nor do I think actually at the moment is it particularly popular notion in the church either. Um, despite it being emphasized just everywhere in scripture. I, I sort of did a test. I sort of started reading the Psalms to see how far I could get before um, it was brought up. Luckily, I didn't have to get past like verse two of, of chapter of the first Psalm. And there it is, you know, uh, obedience. And it's surprising, therefore, that, that actually when we listen, and I've been, you know, I listen to sermons as part of my job, uh, you know, listening around the country. And, and it's amazing how often we hear people saying, um, well, they start out well and they say things like, uh, you know, Christianity's not a religion, it's about a relationship with a person. It's not about rules, it's about, it's about engaging with a person. And, and then often that ends up uh, heading towards, and, and it, it doesn't really matter, therefore, what we do, how we live our lives. And, and as, you know, as we know, you know, our faith is all about a person. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him and what he's done for us. But that doesn't cancel this little thing called obedience. And um, if you don't believe me, take, take Jesus' words on it. Here are three little verses from John's Gospel, Jesus speaking. Chapter 8, he says, If you hold to my teachings... You are really my disciples. Chapter 14, he says, Anyone who loves me will obey my commands, will obey, sorry, obey my teaching. And chapter 15, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus expects that if we want to say that we are his followers, his disciples, if we want to say that we love him, if we want to say that we are his friends, then following him is going to require obedience. And um, I think sometimes we, um, we, we just forget this. Sometimes we don't want to acknowledge this uh, because we just don't want to obey. But I, I do think that there's a, a, very, a much more down-to-earth uh, and kind of excusable reason why we sometimes struggle with really emphasizing obedience in our lives, why so often we default in our lives to it doesn't really matter. And I think it's, it's very simple. I think it's that we struggle, I do certainly sometimes, to put together two different pictures of Jesus. And the first one is one that we, we love. It's the picture of a Jesus who will receive anyone at any time. It's a picture of a Jesus whom we know says to us when we come to him, there is nothing too big for me to forgive. There is nothing too costly that it's more costly than the price I paid for your forgiveness on the cross. That nothing you do can earn my, my, my love for you or my acceptance more than, than what I've already done for you. And we know that Jesus and we love that Jesus. And then on the other hand, we've got this Jesus who says, you have to obey me. 
He says uh, to Peter and the disciples, leave everything behind and follow me. And um, I think sometimes we struggle to put those two together. The merciful Jesus and the holy Jesus. And, um, but I, I really, I just want to say, very simple, they are one and the same Jesus. They're the same. There's no choice between these two Jesus. And I love the story of, of, of um, when the woman uh, who was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. It's a story in, in John again, John chapter 8. And um, the Pharisees who are out to catch Jesus out, they, 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 they managed to catch this um, woman who was uh, in the act of adultery, red-handed. And they bring her before, before Jesus and they, and they kind of throw her down and they say, okay, Jesus, you know that the death penalty for, for this is, as the, 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 the penalty for this is death. What are you going to do about this? And it's an amazing story because Jesus, Jesus uh, um, just says nothing. And he kneels down and he starts writing in the sand. And you can kind of feel in the story that the, this must have really annoyed the Pharisees. Like, you know, no, you don't, you, don't get to, you don't get out of this one, Jesus. You've got to pronounce, you've got to pronounce what you think about this. Um, and, uh, and then so he stands up and he says to them, okay, well, you who are without sin, you who are without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he kneels down and he starts writing in the sand again. And it says that one by one, starting with the older ones, they walked away until there were none left. And then Jesus stands up and he says, well, where have they gone? Is there no one left here to condemn you? And then he says to her, well, then neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And that's what he says to each one of us as we come to him. That, that, that is the Jesus who, who, who accepts us whatever we've done. That, that is the Jesus uh, that this, late, this woman met, whom in the middle of being caught red-handed, in the middle of fearing for her life, she finds a Jesus who says, neither do I condemn you. And I like to think that as Jesus said that to her, he knew what it would cost to forgive her. He knew that he would have to go to the cross. But you see, that's often where we stop reading the story. You know, when we hear sermons on that passage, we're then sometimes, you know, it's just the only thing that's emphasized is that Jesus accepts everyone, that therefore... It, everything's fine and um, it, it doesn't really matter seems to be the end of the story but it's not the end of the story because that's not everything Jesus says when there is no one else there except him and this woman first thing he says is first thing he says to her is neither do I condemn you and the second thing is so go now and leave your life of sin. So go now and leave your life of sin. And you know, there are so many stories when we start actually looking that end like this, when we look at Jesus. So many that start with an amazing, startling mercy. You know, I think of Zacchaeus up the tree, you know, a tax collector. 
And suddenly, Jesus comes to him and says, I want to eat at your house. And everyone's like, what? He's eating at the house of sinners? Who is this? He's an amazing acceptance. It's quite incredible. But the story doesn't end there. Because Zacchaeus is transformed by the end of the story. He's giving his stuff away. He's repenting for the things he's done wrong. It's incredible. Jesus coming and healing people by the pool of, uh, of Bethesda and, and just touching them and transforming their lives. And then we see him finding them later and saying, you know who did that? That was me. I want you to know who I am. And oh, and by the way, <laughs> repent. Change your life. We do not have to choose between these two Jesuses. They are one and the same. And in fact, we cannot choose between these two Jesuses. The Jesus who accepts and forgives us also tells us to follow him. Jesus always says to us both, I do not condemn you and leave your life of sin. We cannot have a Jesus who's just our savior and not also our Lord. I know it's kind of a popular phrase when people say that God's love, God's grace is unconditional. It's only half true. There are no conditions before God's love. There are loads of conditions after. It's be transformed. It is live a grateful life. It is tell people about me. It is, it is, it is live in the light that you now know. Jesus takes hold of us and he turns our lives upside down. He says, I do not condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. You know, Paul, writing to the Galatians, letters to the Galatians, it's a fantastic letter. Um, About five, the first five of six chapters of it is Paul telling them how amazing God's grace is. Just how they can't earn it, how they shouldn't go back to any uh, uh, ways of trying to earn God's love or acceptance, how um, everything's been done by Jesus. And it kind of like, he hammers on that for like five chapters, just saying it again and again in different ways. And then he gets to chapter six and he says this, which cuts the other way. It's kind of a surprising end. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, to please their natural desires, and the evil desires from the flesh, they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, whoever lives to please God from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I guess my first point just this, this evening is, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived into thinking that God's amazing and endless mercy and kindness means that it doesn't matter how we live. I don't know about you, but that is the, the, the quickest lie that comes into my head when I'm really, really struggling uh, with, not, with doing something I don't want to do or not doing something I don't want to do. It's just like the first thing that comes into my head. It doesn't really matter but it's not true don't be deceived whatever it is you're thinking about whatever the things you're dealing with 
It matters what you and I do. And coming to our reading of Abraham, we just see, we see a situation in which it really mattered. We see Abraham, who just finds himself, maybe not by choice, but nonetheless addressed by God. God steps into his life and speaks to him. And suddenly he knows what he couldn't know before, which is what God wants him to do. And he has a decision, and he can go left, or he can go right. But it matters, and it will change. It will change the course of his life, and it will change the course of his family's life, and it will change his relationship with God. We remember Abraham as this great hero of the faith because he was obedient. This is like the story in his life that is referenced when they talk about, the scriptures talk about his faith, his relationship with God. It's this story. We wouldn't be remembering him if you didn't say yes to God. If you, if you do a study of Abraham's life, there's lots to learn, but he was fundamentally a yes man when it came to God. That's what the Christian walk requires, making a decision early on that whatever comes, I'm going to be a yes man, a yes woman, when God speaks to me. Sometimes God speaks and he steps into our lives. He reveals something and we have a decision to make. And like Peter and the disciples on the shore, when Jesus called them to, to, to follow him, your life will not be the same. It does matter. Like that adulterous woman who encountered the amazing forgiveness of God, she had a choice. Was that going to be a journal entry in her life? Was it going to be one day? Wow, you know, this one day, I just encountered this Jesus. He was amazing and he didn't condemn me. Is that just going to be one day in her life? Or was she, she, she going to start following Jesus? Was she going to take him up on his second invitation and make this following him a life-changing experience? So here's the first thing. Following Jesus is going to require obedience, and it matters how we respond. Here's the next thing, very briefly. Obedience involves trust. Obedience involves trust. So, number one, if I want to follow Jesus, it's going to involve obedience. Number two, that is going to involve trust. Reading this story and rereading this story, trying to get inside the head of uh, Abraham, I sort of discovered I just can't. I, ca I can't imagine what must have been going through Abraham's head um, that night. Can you imagine? I mean, I, you know, I've had a few, um, few times when I, I've had something big in the morning, maybe an exam or an interview or dreading having to speak to someone or something like that, and you, sometimes you just can't get to sleep and you sit there and something just ticks over in your head. Can you imagine that times a million. Can you imagine the questions? Can you imagine the things he would have been saying to God as he walked with his son towards this mountain? Um, maybe some of these would have come into my head. Uh, Lord, what? Why? Why have you said, I don't understand. There doesn't seem to be a plan here. This doesn't seem to achieve anything. Um, is there not another way to achieve whatever you're trying to do? 
Um, do you not understand how, how painful this is? And you promised me, my son, this was part of, you said I was going to have Isaac. Are you going back on your promise? Are you trying to punish me? Can you imagine all the questions that must have been going through his head? I don't know what I would have done in that situation. And I admit that I really struggle with this passage. I admit that I can't make sense of God, God's requests to Abraham. And to some extent, I think that's why it's so helpful for us. Because even in hindsight, we can't understand it. And that helps us, must help us a little bit with what Abraham must have been thinking. I just can't, I can't see past this command you've given me. And you know, that is often what obeying Jesus feels like. What? I can't understand. I can't see how this works. I can't see the logic. But you know, when we have decided that we're only going to obey when we understand why Jesus has told us to do that, when we, we say we're only going to obey when we see how it fits into the big plan, when, only when we want to do it, then that's not really obedience, is it? That's just a happy coincidence that we agree with Jesus. But obedience usually requires trust. And I know that for myself. I know, I think, I think back to even just um, uh, recently when, uh, you know, a year and a, well, not recently, a year and, nearly a year and a half ago when I had to make the decision about um, whether to take the post here or not. And I don't know why God didn't make it easier. Why, why is it that it all came down to one day? Why is it that I had to say no to somewhere else first? Why is it that, it, you know, at the end of the day, I had to sit in my room and just say, the only thing I know for certain here is that you've spoken. I haven't got much else to get. Why is it that God tends to, tends to bring us to these moments in life when all we've got is his word? I was, I was speaking at a house party, uh, a kind of getaway this week, and uh, with some very keen freshers who've already signed up to a getaway before they've even arrived. I mean, that's... Uh, respect. But anyway, we were talking about kind of how to spend your time wisely at university. And one of the things we were talking about was the Sabbath, you know, um, choosing to set aside a day where we don't do any academic work and you trust God and you say, this is for you because you've commanded us to take a Sabbath. So we talked about that. And then at the end, one of the students puts his hand up and says, well, first of all, did you do it? Which is a great question to always ask the preacher that. No, don't ask the preacher that. Um, um, and so I was like, okay, well, I did it for my second two or four years. I, I, admit I didn't do it for, uh, uh, at the beginning. And then the next question was even worse. He said, does it work? And I had to think about that one. And my answer was, no, it doesn't work. If you mean, does everything fit? You know, no, it doesn't work. Sometimes you're staring down the barrel of a deadline or something important and it doesn't add up. And you taking a Sabbath is going to mean you are not going to get that work done or it's something important is not going to happen. And at that point, choosing to take a Sabbath is not about whether you can make it work or understand it. It's about saying to the Lord, you've asked me to do this. 
I'm going to trust you. This is more important that in, in the long run, this is for you. I've got nothing else. I know you've spoken in your word and I want to trust you. And you know, for us, it might be one moment, uh, one big thing that we're deciding on at the moment. We feel that God's in front of us with a big decision. But often it might be an ongoing thing, small things. Um, I'm not going to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend until we get married. I'm not going to fiddle my tax returns. I'm not going to. And there's these things that maybe we look at and they're ongoing things and they wear at us and they wear at us and they wear at us. And the first thing that might attack us is, does it matter? And the second one that, thing that might attack us is, um, does it work? <laughs> I can't see. I don't understand. And we need to choose to trust. And I, I have to say, this is the only way I can make sense of this passage with Abraham. You know, this was not Abraham's first time at the rodeo. This was not the first thing that God ever said to Abraham. And that's the only way I can make sense of this passage. Abraham had a history with God. God had asked him to obey him many times before, and he'd taken risks before, and he had seen God provide before, and he had come to the point that when God asked this admittedly crazy thing of him, he could say, I cannot see how this is going to work, but I do see you. Obedience requires trust. And finally, Obedience leads to blessing. Obedience leads to blessing. And this is really important. It's not all a downer. Obedience is awesome. We were made for this. We were made to live lives of trusting obedience. At the end of this whole episode, um, God himself says to Abraham, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take, the, take possession of the cities of your enemies um, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because you have obeyed me. And in case you think I'm going to go off the rails here and be all prosperity gospel, well, you have to reckon with what Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight, where he says, very simply, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed. That is one to remember when it is hard to obey. That is one to dredge up, to stick on your wall. Blessed, says Jesus, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Obedience leads to blessing. And two very brief ways that it leads to blessing. And the first one is it grows our relationship with God. It grows our relationship with God. It leads to intimacy with God. And I just want to sort of put it out there. God absolutely loves it when we obey him. It thrills his heart. Again, go and read through the Psalms, some things that God says over, over the righteous. They're the apple of his eye. He celebrates when we make tough decisions for him when we say Lord I ain't got anything else but I've got you and I, I want to be in your presence I want to please you he loves it maybe someone tonight has just obeyed the Lord in a costly way and no one else knows Jesus loves that he's smiling over you it's amazing 
but also our, our knowledge of God, our relationship with God grows. You know, Abraham's relationship with God was not the same after this than it was before. It's not the same. We're told in verse 14 that he names that place, the Lord provides. You know, up that hill, he'd been saying to himself, I'm sure the Lord will provide. I, I think the Lord will provide. I hope the Lord will provide. He's the kind of Lord who must provide. And at the end of the story, he names that place, the Lord will provide. And when we choose to trust the Lord in small things and in big, we get more and more places in our lives that are called the Lord provides. More and more places in our lives we look back and say, there he provided, there he provided, there he provided. My old youth worker used to use this analogy of, of a gun, and he used to say that every time we choose to obey the Lord and see him come through, it's like getting another bullet to put in your magazine. That next time you face a challenge, to face a call of Jesus that you struggle with, you've just got more ammunition. It's like so many stories. That's a very aggressive metaphor, as you can see, but it's good. I didn't make it up. And it's true. Abraham gets to hear the well done of God, and he's not the same. And I wonder if you, are, you feel your intimacy with the Father, with God, it, it is a little bit dry right now, and you've tried a bit of prayer, you've tried a bit of worship, and uh, they ain't working like they used to. Um, that's, I'm, being, I'm being glib, but maybe you try some obedience. Try some risky obedience. Find something you struggle to obey and try it, and just see if God comes close to you. Because he loves to come close to us when we are walking in obedience. And the very final way in which we are blessed when we obey is that God actually promises we will not be shortchanged. He promises to reward us when we obey. As we heard earlier, Paul saying to the Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I don't want to spend much time on this, but God promises we will never regret having obeyed him. It might be difficult. We may not see the reward. Sometimes we see the reward really quickly. You know, like a Sabbath, initially, you, it's, you struggle to see how it works, but then over time, you just see, wow, this brings life to me. This, God provides, and you begin to see that. And you put these things in place, and you see God, you see it pay off. Sometimes, like Abraham, you see God provide immediately in that way. But sometimes not. And even Abraham didn't see all those promises fulfilled in his lifetime. But God has said to us that he is just. And our trust is never going to be let down. When we see him on that final day, he will reward us for every secret obedience that we've done. It will be worth it. And I just add that in the end because it's tough to obey sometimes. And we need to know that he is pleased. He, lo he loves it. He's thrilled when we obey. And, it, and it, we will not be shortchanged. He will pay us back in full. And so I want to kind of end there, but I also just want to throw out a challenge. Obedience is, is just part of our walk with Jesus. Why not decide to obey? Not just once. Why don't you say to God, Lord, I want to be an obeying person. I want it to be a core strand of who I am. I want to be a yes man. That, I want that to be my instinct. And let's be a church that does that. We're moving into an amazing new building. We're moving into all kinds of opportunities. As we get 
uh, have more influence. And it just, it, the opportunities God is giving us are really exciting, but we don't want to be known for being a whizzy church only. We want to be known for being an obedient church where in our top three things is that when we hear God, we say, yes, Lord, I'm up for this adventure of trust with you.